Welcome to ADHD Flourishing, about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real-life stories, and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here, and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome to my first guest on ADHD Flourishing, the amazing coach and human, Kristen King. We spoke last year about ADHD parenting and human rights over on the Longer Road podcast. And now that I've seen Kristen using the ADHD label, I am super excited to hear more about her neurodivergent journey. And is there anything else you'd like to add to introduce yourself or how you're thinking about yourself in the world right now? Um, My favorite way to describe myself right now is that I'm a professional bad influence, and I'm very excited to make sure everyone listening knows this right now, because I'm really hoping it's going to rub off on you as a result of this conversation. So good. So good. (laughs) So this first thing that we talked about, like just before we hopped on, we were talking about the language around flourishing, and I'm sure this is something I will talk about more, you know, I I picked this word on purpose because I want to move beyond just this idea that, you know, if you are, if you have multiple marginalized identities or, you know, multiple diagnoses or whatever, even though I, you know, I think of autism as a neurotype and not, you know, a problem, but you know, that if you have these multiple issues, potentially that the best you can do is just sort of quote functioning, like functioning is held up as this thing to reach. And like, that's what all the, you know, supports are geared toward. And I just like, I don't think that that's descriptive of our actual lives and what people actually want. Like, we're just people that, you know, want to be able to thrive and flourish like everyone else. So, (laughs) uh, Kristen had prepared a Ted talk on whole person healthcare right before COVID. And I love what you said. My goal in life is not to be a compliant patient. Please tell us more. (laughs) Yes. So right in the early days of COVID, I had gotten accepted to present a TED talk at a national, a really international mental health conference. And so the audience was primarily um, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, PhD students, people in that space, folks who are, you know, engaged in providing services to crazy folk primarily. And I can say that because I'm one of them. So (laughs) we're allowed. Um, so I had, I had prepared this talk because I wanted to change the conversation with medical providers and related supporters about what, what people who receive diagnoses are actually looking for when they're seeking help. And my goal in life as as you quoted, is not to be a compliant patient. Like I have a lot more things that I want to do with my life beyond taking my medication on time and reliably attending my therapy appointments. So someone can dole wellness out to me in 50 minute increments. Like that's, that's not my life goal. Right. And the things that people were offering me at that time in my life that I, that the talk was based on were, were basically that, like you can get really good at taking your medication. It's going to kill all of your emotions and you're never going to have an orgasm again, but great news. You're going to be really good at taking it every day. As long as you take it every day, like, where do I fucking sign? Like, this is great. No, like go fuck yourself. I want 
to do things. I want to have a business. I want to go back to school and get another degree. I want to get married. I want to have kids. And those kinds of things were not part of the conversation at that time. At least they certainly weren't part of the conversation that I was having. And the the other aspect of it was that it was very much focused on, on how to fix me versus what do I actually need? What's going on? What has happened in my life that has affected me? And what does that look like? And so it it all came from the perspective of me being damaged and that the best I could hope for was basic functioning. And that is just not enough for me. And that's not enough for most people. Like, I don't want to just be able to like bathe and feed myself. Like I want to have meaningful relationships and do fun things. And I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, like, what's it like as someone suffering with autism? What's it like as someone suffering with ADHD? And I'm like, well, I wouldn't say I'm suffering, Bob. Like, no, I'm just a person who has this as part of my life experience. And so I was really, really excited when you told me that the podcast is about flourishing because that's what everybody wants to do. Nobody wants to have like a basically mediocre life that like sort of doesn't suck some of the time. And they're really good at checking the boxes. Like we, we want to feel lit up about our shit. We want to flourish. And so I, I think that language and the perspective that we have around people who have these different experiences or have received these different labels is really important because we're just like everybody else. We're just a little cooler, in my opinion. It's, you know, it's not like we have limitations that other people don't have. We, everybody has some limitations and everybody has resiliency factors and strengths just like the rest of us. And so, you know, receiving this label doesn't take that off the table. Absolutely. And my brain goes in so many directions with what you just said, but like one of the things I was just thinking about is that with, with everyone has limitations is that the things that have been labeled as problems or, you know, issues that must be solved or people that must be fixed are people that have specific social quote deficits like things that impact you from being able to be a productive worker and just sort of like a cog in the machine. Like if you can't just plug into that, right? Like what we call learning disabilities, Mm -hmm. for example, are things that make it so that you have trouble in a specific school system design, right? It doesn't, it wouldn't necessarily affect you if, for example, none of us read or did math, right? Which I'm not saying we should do that. Just that like, right, we, we live in a world where we've decided these things are problems because they keep you from living in this world. But those things are actually like, things that we've all come up with collectively in really just the last few hundred years in some ways in in a lot of these things. And then the other thing I was thinking about that I really, really want to say, and I'm going to be saying something about this like constantly, because I feel like I know people look at my life and are like, wow, you're, you know, doing so well and you're like achieving things. And I was looking at the actual like facts of my daily life. My partner cooks, let's just say 100% of the food I cook on a very rare occasion and I buy groceries sometimes. Um, but we also get a CSA. And so like, like I do almost nothing in the kitchen. My partner does 80% of the cleaning. And we have also started hiring professional cleaners to come sometimes to do like deep cleaning. And then my partner also does almost all of the executive function tasks related to our housing. My partner pays all of the, uh, like we have a shared bank account for Mm -hmm. housing and we co-own the house, but like they literally make the phone calls, do, you know, set up the uh, utilities and pay the utilities. And like, I do so little around daily care and functioning. If I lived in supportive housing, those are the things they would be doing for me. So I essentially have like a carer mm-hmm. doing these things for me. 
And the reason that I want to like be so clear about that is I think there's this idea that flourishing or like getting to this point where I'm at least like, I'm happy. Right. So like I'm, I'm mentally well in that sense. And it does not make those tasks easy for me. I am good at complicated things. My brain goes straight to, is this interesting? Is this hard? I want to solve hard tasks. I want to do cool stuff. And if it's not interesting or hard for me, my brain just like simply cannot gather the resources. And so the part of this like flourishing issue for me is that it's not about being able to do all the easy, silly stuff that you don't want to do first. And then you deserve to do hard stuff. It's like, no, my brain only wants to do hard stuff. I need help with the easy stuff so that I can actually use my actual skills that I have. And otherwise I don't because it, it takes all of my life to just do those basic things. If no one else is helping me with them. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I have a partner who does pretty much all of the cooking. Am I capable of preparing, preparing food? Yeah. Is it very good? I mean, it's edible. Do I enjoy it? Fuck no. I hate cooking and I typically don't remember to eat. So my, my partner's role for me in, in that part of our relationship is that he is the primary person who prepares the food, who goes out and retrieves the ingredients that will then later be (laughs) used to prepare the food. And then often will like put food in front of me or remind me like, Hey, I left food for you. And now you need to go downstairs and get it and feed yourself because if you don't eat, you die. Um, and, and that support is really, really important. And that has worked out really well in our relationship because if I'm responsible for it, it's like cereal for dinner every night because I just, I don't care. I don't enjoy it. I find it annoying. I don't feel competent at it. And I don't enjoy we have to eat all the I know, time. It's, it's so, so I'm like, can't I just like take a pill or something? And then, I mean, but I won't remember to do that either, but can't I just like take a pill and then not need to eat all day? And I just take like this little tablet once a day, because that would be like way more like pleasant for me. But that doesn't mean that I'm not like a competent adult who can like perform these tasks. I just fucking hate them. And that's okay. There are a lot of people out there like I mean, this is, this is speaking in in very broad generalizations, but in the U S it is still, you know, people who are socialized as men in heterosexual relationships are still doing far less of the housework and those kinds of things. And no one is looking at them and saying, Oh, I'm really concerned about their level of functioning because they're not the one preparing dinner. Like, no, that's not like lots of people don't do many things that make their life work and outsource them to other people. It's not just ADHD people. Yes. Oh, so good. And like, I flourish by not having to do shit. I fucking hate every day, all day. So that is like a key (laughs) part of my flourishing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, I was, I was just talking to a new client about this, this week who just got, who just realized they were autistic and there's this it's so when you realize you're autistic and actually I would love to hear you talk about anything around your experience with this, but one thing that tends to happen and and with ADHD as well, like any new diagnosis, I mean, one of the things we talk about in the autistic community is like masking and unmasking, right? So this idea of, you know, putting on this role and when you start doing that less, it actually makes everything harder. And a lot of people have this experience. And I think it's because it's not just, oh, you're masking less. And so you have less of a, I don't know, buffer protection or something. I think it's also because you're making the decisions about it. So now when you're prepping to go somewhere, it's not just yes or no. Do I have the energy for this? It's okay. How much do I want to mask? How much do I need to prepare? Or like, is there a conversation I need to plan? Like, is there anything I need to do in order to be able to mask 
the amount that I want to in this situation. And now that you're aware of like your body having trouble with some of these things, it was having trouble before, but you were just ignoring it. And as soon as you start paying attention to your body and noticing how hard things are, it's almost like it takes more energy because you're actually taking in more information about what your body is giving you. Anyway, that was very much my experience. It's super, super common. And I hear people talk about it as like, oh, my symptoms are getting worse. I'm like, well, also you're just noticing them more and you're having to make more decisions and making a bunch of little decisions is really tiring, especially for neurodivergent people who tend to think a lot more about the ramifications about every little thing that might happen. Yeah. I I have so many things I want to say about this and they're all trying to come out at once. So give me a second. I, I think that part of, part of what happens when we stop masking is that other people experience us as being less compliant. Like we become very inconvenient when that happens. And the whole point of masking is to going back to what you were saying earlier is to sort of fit everybody into this system where you sit still and you only speak after you've been called on and you get permission to go to the bathroom because otherwise something terrible would happen. I don't still don't really understand that one. But when we stop masking and we stop pretending or shutting ourselves down or making ourselves small or trying to disappear to fit into these systems, people who have sort of been trained to experience us one way are often very inconvenienced by us no longer complying with the expectations that they have about us. And so that can be really challenging. And for, for those of us who are, are shifting away from masking either across the board or in certain situations, there is a lot of decision-making that happens. And for me, particularly, I don't know if this is for everybody, but I am very um, easily overwhelmed by a lot of input. And I'm a person who pretty much notices everything. So it's kind of like every channel on all the time at full volume. And also there's like a strobe light for some reason, but it's like a black light and it's weird. Like that's kind of what's going on in my brain all the time. So when I'm in a social situation, I am constantly scanning for those things. And even when I try to focus in on like one conversation, it's very difficult to do it because I can't stop seeing all the details. That makes me really good at things like getting away from an 18 wheeler on the highway right before the tire blows. I'm not psychic. I just notice shit that my like brain doesn't consciously notice, but I consistently move away from the truck just in time, right? Stuff like that. It makes me great at those things. I can't tell you how many like falling babies I have caught in public places. And I wasn't even like consciously aware that there was a baby there, but I saw it falling and I caught it. Or like, you know, a stranger choking, like that sort of stuff. Or I can see when something's about to happen with somebody and I watch them and then like I intervene because like they just like fell down or something like that. Shit like this happens to me all the time. But if I don't have my lines at a fucking cocktail party, I want to jump off a goddamn bridge. Because if I don't know what to say, if I don't know the lines for that situation, if I can't figure out the expectations of that interaction, I'm so bombarded by the other details that I can't really come up with it in my own. So I have to plan ahead for conversations like you mentioned earlier and those sorts of things. I also have to really be thoughtful about like, where am I going to plunk myself down in this situation so I can minimize the visual input at least so I can actually have a conversation with somebody or perform a task or whatever it is. And so when I stopped 
masking intentionally, I got more aware of how many of those decisions I actually did have to unconsciously make before I could go places or how many times I didn't do a thing that I wanted to do because the, the pressure to do it like a normal person was very high and it felt like more than I could handle. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that did that like kind of get at some of what you're talking about. I know there was more, but like, am I going in the right direction here? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing I've noticed is that as I've become more aware of my own neurodivergence and how some of these different aspects of me interact is like, I feel much more comfortable asking questions like that. Like, am I making sense? Are we talking about the same thing? Am I answering the question you asked or am I answering an adjacent question? I used to be afraid to do that. And so I would just sort of like smile and nod. And there ended up being a lot of like awkward miscommunications. So now we just have like awkward, accurate communications <laughs> instead, but it feels a lot less stressful, but it's uncomfortable for people because they're not accustomed to folks asking for that kind of confirmation or pushing back or like insisting on more details to understand what's happening, that sort of thing. Um, so, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like awkwardness and newness to navigate here, I think. And it's always been there, but the consciousness of it changes the experience for me, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And like you're saying that consciousness of it, because our brains are taking in more information, like significantly more information. And because we have low filtering abilities, like less ability to just filter things out all of a sudden it's, it's like when you learn a new word and see it everywhere, right? The reticular activating system is like, now that I'm aware of more of my own internal processes and also like what my internal processes require to be okay. Mm -hmm. I can't just turn that off now. It's like, now that's just one of the tracks in my brain is just this information. And now it's just there and it will never go away (laughs) as far as I can tell. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that's been interesting is, is there, there is a lot more, um, I think cognitive load with the conscious awareness, but there's also a significant relief Yes, because for a very long time, I had a story about myself that I didn't enjoy, but that felt really true that I'm not good at connecting with people. I'm not good at making friends. I'm just weird. I'm kind of a bitch. Now I don't I don't actually mind being kind of a bitch like I'm okay with that it's one of my favorite things about me that I'm bitchy but I wanted to like I like to be a bitch on purpose not just like a bitch by accident because I'm just a weird bitch right like so so it was a relief to be able to say like oh I'm not weird I don't actually struggle to connect with people I'm actually really normal in this context and I have needs that I have not been previously meeting. And when I'm willing to have conversations about those or do something on my own behalf, I'm actually excellent at these things, but it might look a little different how I get to it than how other people get to it. And I, this whole time thought that meant there was something wrong with me instead of recognizing that I just have a different way of approaching it than a lot of the people I've been around at different stages of my life. And that was a relief. And it was also a relief. And this, this sort of um, gets to like how I, how I like realized my particular flavor of neurodivergence. It was a relief to find other people who had the same experiences that I did. Cause I spent a lot of time around neurotypical people who didn't struggle in the same ways that I did to meet some of these social expectations or conventions. And I, I always felt like the odd person out. And then I started, um, you know, like I, I got very into TikTok. I'm still very into TikTok. It's my favorite place to consume content. 
And I was on like autism TikTok and ADHD TikTok and these various like flavors of mental health TikTok, also lesbian TikTok, which I really like. And like all these different factors in TikTok and all these people were telling stories that sounded a lot like mine. And it was the first time that had ever really happened to me. I'm like, oh, you too need to like prepare for an hour to go to the grocery store for 15 minutes. That makes me feel so much more normal. And I, I had received an ADHD diagnosis in 2005 from a doctor who basically acted like he was doing me a favor to like placate the hysterical woman who came into his office. And like the, even like when you read like the documentation, which I still have, it's so fucking dismissive. And I'm just like, dude, why, why are you even a medical provider? Like you're such a jerk. It's not helpful for people, but he, he made me feel so bad about it. And like, there was something wrong with me that for thinking there was something wrong with me. And like, he was just like doing me a solid by giving me a piece of paper to shut me up and get me out of his office. So I stuck it in a drawer for like 15 years and change and just kept playing on hard mode before I realized like, no, I actually do have ADHD. I'm not being dramatic. And it explains like the vast majority of things that have, that I've struggled with throughout my life. And I'm also not just like a fucking weirdo with no social skills. My brain processes information differently and I'm on the autism spectrum and it literally explains fucking everything. Prior to that, a different doctor who actually really did like, um, gave me, uh, I don't even know how many diagnoses we can count the ones I remember, uh, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, a bunch of others. That's yeah. Exists. Well, it did. It did oh when I, God. when I received the paper, um, and there was a bunch of other stuff. And the conclusion was like, Kristen produces a floating profile for the following reasons, blah, blah, blah. Um, they did, they did catch, you know, depression, anxiety, and OCD. Those are accurate. Like that is a thing. Like I, I don't have any qualms with that, but the other shit, I don't have that stuff. And so it was really frustrating for the providers whose goal, whose treatment goals were that I'm a compliant patient. Cause I wasn't complying with treatment for a thing that I didn't fucking have or want to treat because it didn't exist in my life. And I have struggled with that for years and years and years. And then I started reading about women with autism and the kinds of life experiences they have and the kinds of labels they receive and the inadequacy of the diagnostic procedures for identifying and accurately catching autism in, you know, women and girls in general, but particularly in adult women. And I was like, oh, all this list of inaccurate diagnoses that are like historically and reliably given to adult women with autism is the exact, like, it's a, it's like a virtual photocopy of my, my paperwork from that diagnostic process. And that was when I realized what was going on. And I've never been formally diagnosed. I've tried several times, but it's real hard to find somebody to do it. So I've given up, but I have, you know, read through the literature pretty thoroughly because I'm a nerd and I'm real good at focusing on that stuff. Even if I can't remember where I put my fucking keys and the, the diagnostic self-diagnostic accuracy for, for people who identify as on the spectrum is like 97% or something like that. It's extraordinarily high. So I'm very confident mm -hmm. that that's what's going on here. And that's why I got all of these inaccurate diagnoses that didn't fit because there's not a framework for explaining that experience outside of a very narrow range of life. Totally. I saw a stat the other day that said 80% of autistic women make it to 18. So like make it to adulthood without an autism diagnosis. Yeah. So it is, it's the norm to not be diagnosed. Absolutely. And I would also imagine that in your case, like 
there, it's actually probably better for you not to have an official autism diagnosis because you have a trans kid. And for all of the shit that's going down in America right now, you don't want any reason for anybody to think that you're an unfit yes, parent. I completely agree. And I also don't want any reason for another country to not accept me uh, as a, yeah. a, an immigrant, an immigrant. I never remember which is the right word, but like, yep. No, there are a bunch of com- yeah. countries and that so don't. It's, you're autistic. It's, it's, so I, I relate to that life experience. I don't feel like I need a formal diagnosis for that because I, 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 you know, I, I'm not seeking services that I couldn't get without that diagnosis. And in my opinion, if it, if it does a job for you, like giving you access to services that you need, then by all means go for it. But if it doesn't do a job for you and it's just to check a box and it, that's a box that's not meaningful to you, don't fucking bother. It's expensive. It's pain in the ass. And then you have to deal with that having been done, if you're trying to flee the dystopian nightmare that is your home country and move to another country. So, you know, if you need it, by all means, go for it. But if you just feel like it's something you're supposed to do and it doesn't do a job for you that matters, don't bother. That's my opinion. Yeah. Take it or leave it. And pretty much like what services, like there's so little available for autistic adults anyway. Yeah. And yeah. like, what, like, what would you actually get? Like, there's not a whole lot, but maybe you, I don't know, you need some kind of like accommodation at work or something like that. And you know, you work for douchebags who won't like treat you like a human being, unless you have a piece of paper that says you're like a broken human being. I mean, what, I don't know what your situation is, but there's, you know, there's places where accommodations might like, that might be the only route to them. But you know, if that's not the case, don't bother. Yeah. And even that, like it's in America, it is, even if you have a visible disability or a, like a, an official, you know, on paper disability, even though employers are technically not allowed to discriminate against you under the ADA, they do, they do all, all the, the time. time. Every disabled person yeah. knows this. So like, even that it's not necessarily anyway. So that's like, that's a whole other thing, but I also, this is a more fun one. We had jotted this down. So I shared, uh, I went into Google calendar and I made myself this beautiful ideal week. It was my like ideal work week. So it had a full morning routine in it. It had I I've experimented a lot with my calendar and I know that like time blocking kind of by day works for me, where it's like on this, you know, these days I have clients on this day. I do admin work, right. That works really well for me. So I was like, okay, based on my years of experimentation, here's my ideal schedule. And I like made it. And I, I, it was its own, you know, separate little Google calendar that I could toggle on and off. I sat down with my partner and I, I walked my partner through it, like why this was the ideal schedule for me and why this was so, so great. I then toggled the calendar off, never looked at it again and never made any attempt to use it whatsoever. (laughs) And I was like, this is the ADHD experience. And Kristen, Kristen has, uh, was like, oh my God, planners. Yeah. Well, before, before we talk about planners though, part of the reason that that post cracked me up and I have not, I have not told Mattia this before, uh, this current conversation that's happening right now in real time. Uh, I was laughing my ass off when I saw that post because days earlier, I had done the exact same exercise for those of you who are listening on audio, which I think is almost everyone. I am holding up my journal where I create, I turned it sideways and created a column for each of the days of the week and blocked my time. And then I came home from the place that I had done that. And I created a Google calendar with those time blocks that I have also not toggled back on. This was like, you know, two weeks ago, you guys, this was like, it just happened. So when you posted that, I was like, oh man, this is why we're fucking friends, man. Like this is, this is it. (laughs) This is it. So anyway, Uh, yes, I thought you would enjoy that, that little surprise hilarity. (laughs) I love that. So yeah, we were, we were joking that an early diagnostic criteria should be if you believe 
that a planner can fix your life and you keep like buying planners and notebooks and journals being like, this is it. This is the one, this is going to fix my life. (laughs) Yeah, I totally think. And it, and that is a, um, I think that like that, that kind of like early fascination or obsession with planners, notebooks, journals, calendars, reminders, scheduling systems, uh, personal development, um, strategies and approaches. Like, I think that is like a hidden early diagnostic criteria for women on the spectrum. Um, not exclusively people who are socialized as women, but it does tend to happen there more frequently. I think because some of the behaviors that we often need to mask or the things we need to struggle with are like so important from like the social construct of how you function in society as someone who's socialized as a woman that like, we have to do something about it. Whereas people socialized as men tend to be let off the hook more for not remembering to cook dinner or not being responsible for the laundry or things like that. But I, yeah, if you have like 172 notebooks that you haven't written in yet because you haven't come up with like the perfect thing to use that notebook for or the right pen for that particular paper, you might be on the spectrum. Surprise, you're welcome. Like <laughs> this is my working hypothesis. And so far, all evidence supports it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and part of, okay. So part of the reason I also wanted to start this podcast is because uh, well, first of all, when I, I, cause I was like, I want to listen to ADHD podcasts and I looked and there were two of them and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just start. <laughs> now there's three, <laughs> which is a very ADHD thing to do in itself. Uh, uh, but yeah, part of why I wanted to start this is because I, I feel like, like for me, the number one, again, not literal diagnostic, but like the number one criteria for ADHD, like as a combined neurotype, which I think of it as in myself is does most advice not work for you? Mm -hmm. Because most advice is either for neurotypical people and you look at it and you're like, fuck that. That's obviously the worst idea anyone's ever had in the history of the universe. But then even, even advice that's theoretically, you know, from someone that we may be in community with, or that, you know, it's like for an ADHD person, for an autistic person, we're like, well, I can see how that might work, but part of me is going to resist this. And that's been my experience of like so much advice. And that's where like the planner thing and the, like, I'm going to make my own system. It's going to be perfect just for me because nobody else advice, nobody else's advice works. I'm going to make my own. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be organized, you know, and then like all of this, you know, maybe perfectionism or other things that we've learned as coping mechanisms that have like helped us maybe get through school or be able to, you know, function sort of like all of that. And then that makes it like impossible to actually use the system. Yes. And that particular little paradoxical experience, I think is so common for ADHD in particular, because it's like, part of me desperately wants the routines. And part of me is like, Hmm, what a pretty routine. What would happen if we threw it out the window? Yes, yes, (laughs) exactly. And I think that, um, the other thing that kind of co-occurs with that is we'll get it. We'll be excited about it because we'll think it's the thing that's going to work. So it'll go great for a couple weeks or a couple months, but then we like, run out of energy for masking as someone for whom that system works. And then it stops working and we abandon it. And then we beat ourselves up Yeah, and then we're like, but the next one will do it. Right. Instead of recognizing that, like we gave it a good run, but it just wasn't really right. It's not that we don't follow through with things. It's that like, we very intelligently don't follow through with things that don't work for us. And that doesn't mean we're flaky or quitters or, you know, can't, can't be trusted to get shit done. Or a lot of the other judgmental things that people say about that experience. I think, um, the other thing that's really interesting there, and this is a, this is a paradox that I hold within myself because I do contain multitudes 
um, is that I need to really deeply understand the rules and structures and uh, like the thinking process behind things and the justification before them in order to feel safe. But then I also am definitely not going to fucking follow those rules. I need to understand them. I got to really get where things are coming from and figure out to like what level I'm going to or need to comply to stay safe in this situation. But if I don't understand them, I am like obsessive about figuring them out, even though I know I'm not going to do it. I'm very rule oriented, but not in that I choose to follow them. Typically, I I have abandoned that largely, but I need to know what they are in order to break them, if that makes sense. And I'll, I'll see that a lot. I love that description so much. Yeah, that is absolutely my experience as well. Like I want to I want to know what the rules are or like how other people are perceiving the rules. Like I want to understand the structure that I'm in Yes. in like the, you know, social container that I'm in. Like, how are people viewing this? What are the rules? What's expected of me? I may still go do my own thing in the corner, but I would like to know what people think I'm supposed exactly. to be doing. <laughs> and I, so, so some of this will come up for me in uh, like work meetings or something where I, I will just not know the people. So I don't know what's, what am I, am I supposed to sit here and take notes? Am I supposed to talk? If I have an idea, should I say it? Like, what's the plan here? Um, but also just for social stuff, like I have a, a group of friends that I travel with periodically, and I consider them to be largely much cooler and more socially polished than I am. So we go to restaurants or we go to things and everyone knows which fork to use or how much to tip or the difference between this thing and that thing. And I have no fucking clue. And I used to just sit there and be uncomfortable and like hungry because I didn't know how to order, like what was the convention or the thing. And if, and if I don't know what the structure is, I, I don't do anything. I just freeze up. So that, that knowing about it is the thing that thaws my nervous system so I can take action. Otherwise I'm just like, like a ice statue or something. Um, but with this particular group of friends, I reached the comfort level where like, when we're on our way to a thing that I know, I don't know the rules. I'll be like, I need you to tell me when we get there, what to order. I need you to tell me when we get there, how much I'm supposed to tip. I need you to tell me which of these things I'm supposed to wear to this thing. Cause I don't know. And you know, and you just need to tell me. And that has made things so much easier and taken so much pressure off where I can actually go do stuff now that I previously was too freaked out to do because I didn't know what the rules were. And in the past, in like growing up and and even in many places in my career, I would get in a lot of trouble for being difficult or insubordinate and things like that for asking questions to try to understand. Same. And it's like, I'm not questioning you as a human being or even as an authority figure. You asked me to do a task and I don't understand how. So I'm trying to ask questions to understand what you want me to do to give you the thing that you want. And then if I don't do that, you're going to get mad at me for not asking questions on the front end, but you punish me when I do ask questions on the front end, like make up your fucking mind. And so it's been really nice with this group of friends in particular to be able to go have some lower stakes interactions that my livelihood isn't dependent upon or my, my ability to like get the gold star. So my parents still love me is dependent upon. It's just like, am I going to get the right salad? It's okay. If I get the wrong salad, I'll just send it back and buy another salad. But I can, but I can ask those questions and understand ahead of time. And it's safe. And it wasn't like that. I was punished for so many years of my life for just trying to basically understand a request or understand a system. And so it's really, it's a really like big relief now 
to, to be able to ask and to also be at a point in my life where if someone's like a dick about me asking, I can be like, all right, well, go fuck yourself. Like you're not a nice person. So that doesn't have anything to do with me. That has something to do with you. That someone who asks you a basic question is somehow garbage. Like, no, you're garbage. So it's, and I would say it has actually made my relationships with people far less contentious, despite what that may sound like, but it's, it's been a really Mm -hmm. nice shift and it's given me a lot more freedom to sort of filter the people that I spend time with, because someone's going to get mad at me for asking a clarifying question. They're not a person I want to spend time with. And that's not because I'm broken. It's because they suck. (laughs) And this actually is one of the like ADHD strengths that I want to highlight is once you feel safe enough, I think we have a really amazing ability to just be like, fuck all of Mm -hmm. this. I am out. Like, you know, and I think that we have a lot of ability to reimagine systems to like reimagine systems more equitably, imagine the world being better and be willing to just kind of like actually start taking steps toward that because we not in a burn it down and, you know, harm the people at the bottom kind of way, but in a, like, I don't need to participate in the system and I'm happy to stand up and be like, fuck this. I'm Mm -hmm. out. Yeah, totally. And if you haven't seen it, um, there's a little, I think it's like 30 seconds, uh, song on YouTube and it's a little like stick figure animation and it's a song it's called fuck this shit. I'm out. Have you seen this? I literally have not. (laughs) Oh my God. I'll send you the link. You can throw it in the show notes. It is so great, but it's like this, just this very cute short video. And the, the main thrust of it is fuck this shit. I'm out. Fuck this shit. I'm out. I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I'm going to get the fuck up out of here. Fuck this shit. I'm out. And it's like, and it plays <laughs> Sounds like my on a loop. Song. It's the fucking best. I, when I um, like guest coach or do workshops and stuff, I often use it because it's, it's so fun. And it's a great way to look at boundaries. Cause if something is bullshit, you can just peace out. Like you don't, you don't have to stick around with that. Now, obviously there's, there's flavors to that. Sometimes it's not safe for you to peace out. Sometimes you don't want to, and you want to figure out a different solution, but but I think the ability to, um, to to label things in a black and white way is actually a really useful skill to have. It may not be one that we want to blindly apply as our default mode of operating to everything. Like if someone fails to pass the salt, they're not actually like someone who needs to be dead to us. So we, you know, there's some nuance we can use there. But when something's really shitty, we don't need to negotiate that. We can just be like black and white, super clear. Like, this is not okay, and I'm not going to participate in it. And I think that's a strength that um, more people would benefit from developing in themselves. And I've joked for many years that one of my superpowers is that I have an extremely well-developed sense of righteous indignation and moral superiority. And I think that um, it really speaks to what you were just saying about uh, an equity orientation and a desire to exit and not participate in systems that are inequitable. And I see a lot of people who self-identify or are labeled as ADHD, autistic, ADHD, also have that same superpower, that real clear internal compass about right and wrong. And when something's okay and when something's not okay. And those are people who change the fucking world. And it's sometimes funny because I'll be like really sure that I know the right way to fold towels, which I am totally okay with. And I'm definitely right about it. And so that's sort of funny, but I'm also really sure I know when someone's an abusive asshole who doesn't get to be around me or my family. And I'm not interested in gray areas where like I can have compassion and empathy for that person's life experience. That may be true, but this is bullshit and I'm fucking out of here. 
And, and I think that that's a, I think that's a really important distinction. That's often also maligned and vilified in people who, who, you know, have that same experience of like, you're too rigid or you, you lack empathy or whatever. Like, no, I have lots of empathy and patience for curiosity and sincerity, but I have zero tolerance for bullshit. And this is fucking bullshit. So like, let's not waste our time here. I love it. So I would like to wrap up with a couple of questions. One is what is helping you feel good these days? Like what is giving you life and joy? And then the other is just where people can find you. I'm like, oh my God, why is it so hard for me to come up with something that makes me feel good and gives me joy? I, this is, I don't know if this, (laughs) let me ask you this and then I will try to answer the question. But every time someone asks me a question, like what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite song? I can't, oh, yeah, I did not say think, favorite. I know, but I, or someone like, what's a movie you've seen recently, even like, I can't think of a single one that exists in the history of the universe. Like my mind goes completely blank and I panic. So you're like, what's the thing that's bringing you joy? I'm like, have I ever experienced joy? Like, that's my like immediate reaction. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you one, one thing that's happened in the last 24 hours that was really joyful for me. And that is a, a pattern of joy. Now that I, my panic is coming down. Um, is that I got home from teaching a fitness class last night where to be clear, I know my lines. I'm really good at teaching classes. I'm not good at attending them, but when I teach, I know my role in my lines and I know what part to play. So it's really fun. Um, so I got home from teaching Zumba last night and discovered that my husband had made a, uh, custom bathtub tray that spans across our like weird bathtub. So I can like rest a drink or my phone or something there while I'm in the tub. And I love taking really long baths. Like that's a huge like sensory thing for me that helps me replenish and recharge and like settles my nervous system. And if I don't do it frequently enough, I'm a fucking shit show. And so I got home last night and that was waiting for me. And I had a lovely bath and he brought me dinner in the tub and I was able to eat it on my little thing. And, and having that kind of loving caretaking from somebody and my willingness to accept it and also to like have this time to myself to just soak in the water and not have to do anything like that is, that is such joy and like helping me really enjoy my life. And it was a good reminder yesterday that I had been slacking a little bit on giving myself that joyful gift. So back, back on the horse, (laughs) back on the bath bath horse. horse. Oh, I love that so much. And that's exactly, I mean, that's all I was looking for was just like, like small things because the little stuff, I mean, we're like, again, on this flourishing topic, like we're so used to thinking about the big things, right? How do I get like the perfect job or like build the perfect life or, you know, that will make Mm -hmm. me feel great. But it's like the little stuff that makes you feel good day to day is often what makes us actually feel good day to day. Right. It's a lot of little stuff. Yeah. It's like, I'm wearing earrings and mascara today. And I've been doing that a lot recently. And like, I've owned these things since I was like 14, but I very infrequently take the time to do that for myself, but I've been doing it more lately and it's really fun. And I like it not because I'm like trying to conform to like Western beauty standards, because I like how I look when I see myself in the mirror when I have these like pretty little earrings dangling from my earlobes and my eyelashes look like this, it makes me happy. And like, I can just do that. I don't have to like stick it to the man and deprive myself of something I enjoy. I can just like slap some black shit on my eyelashes and be happy all day because I did that. It's great. Yay. And how can, how can people find um, you? The best way to find me is through my website, which is kristenking.com. It's K-R-I-S-T-E-N king.com. And from there you can get to 
all my socials. You can get to my hilarious and delightful email list. And you're also going to be able to get to my forthcoming podcast from there. It's from fuck me to fuck. Yeah. Fuck me to fuck. Yeah. With Kristen King. And that will be launching. Um, I haven't nailed down the date yet for sure, but sometime in the next month ish. So if you head over to kristenking.com, you'll get all the info and all the ways to, to come find me, which I hope you will, because I am delightful on the internet and you will love being my online friend and seeing all kinds of shit that I come up with. Can yes. attest. Absolutely. Two thumbs up. I was going to say three thumbs up. And I was like, wow, that's, I'm just carrying around an extra thumb. Well, you can you borrow now. one of mine. It's fine. We can do four <laughs> if you want, whatever. <laughs> Now I have this like disco dancing thing happening with my thumbs and like suddenly yep. John Travolta. I, yeah, I'm not sorry. I'm like, yeah, yes, you're welcome. The, it's hilarious. <laughs> exactly. Me neither. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for being here and being the first guest. I'm super, super excited. And everybody go check out kristenking.com. And also, yes, great newsletter, great social media, just lovely person to follow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. I hope that sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you'd like to go deeper, I invite you to click on the link in the show notes to learn more about Love Your Brain and apply when you're ready. I've taken the Ethical Move pledge for transparent, responsible, and honest marketing. So both the sales page and the application itself are designed to reinforce your powerful autonomy, get you excited about your own desires, and help you figure out what your ideal looks like. If I can help you accelerate those dreams in some way, I would love to. And if we're not the right fit, I will be honest about that. I'd love to hear what's on your heart and mind because you deserve fulfillment and peace of mind. That link is in the show notes or at mattiamarae.com, M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E.com slash love hyphen your hyphen brain.